All right. Hey, hey. first off. Yes. Um, oh, I've been, this has been on my heart a little bit to oh. talk about it. Maturity. Okay. Uh, you and I have had these conversations about training maturity. Mm-hmm. I've had these conversations about running maturity. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about religious maturity, Bible maturity. Um, and in, in general, when we look and do things, everyone kind of thinks of like uh, they want to be at the pro professional level. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, let's just say, any sport that you're trying to do, you're trying to emulate that professional athlete. But we need to understand that we're all very young in our um, in our training. And so I'm going to use a couple of different references. The first one is is if we are um, JV or the frosh soft, let's think about high school football. Frosh soft, the ability level, skill level at the frosh soft level is very intermediate. You're kind of learning it. Then you go to the JV level, which is a little bit better. They're not as good as the varsity level, right? So the varsity is pretty good. But then you go to the professional, or sorry, the collegiate level. And then you have collegiate level, like backup squad, which are better than the high school squad, but not as good as the starting squad. Then you have like the elite of the uh, college. And then you have the professionals, which are the best of the best. But then you even have more professionals that are like Pro Bowl, the best of the best, have all these accolades, MVPs and all that. So if you look at the things that you and I discuss, I would say we're in the JV level to like that high school level, and there's so much room and potential for growth. And uh, when I think about it with running or training, people that start training, they start training like they're a professional athlete, or they start training like they're in college. But in reality, they need to take a, a big step back and be like, oh, I'm like a freshman in high school. I'm just now learning. This is my first year doing this thing. Let's treat this like it's my first year in high school learning this movement and then progress that way instead of having the mindset of like, oh, I want to be at the apex, at the very top. And then if you have that ability, you're going to progress. You're not going to get injured. You're not going to get fatigued. And I have this conversation a lot. And then the reason what came up is in this, because we're going to talk about religion, I believe, today, is in my religious maturity level, I am like a freshman in high school probably even like middle schooler because I'm learning, I'm anxious, I'm excited, but I don't really know the ins and outs. So I want people to remember and give grace and understand that we are learning. We are experiencing these things together and showcasing that our vulnerability, that um, as we learn a new thing, we're kind of like going through the trials together. Uh, And then there's a Bible verse that I just wanted to talk about before I started. Um, and as you gain maturity, you begin to have confidence. So the more confident you are uh, in, the, in the ability to do these things, the, that's just because of all the work and time that you've put into those things, right? So the more work and time that we put in, the more confident. And that's kind of our subject that we're going to talk about today, perseverance and going through trials and all these things. Um, and so this is uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 14. Um, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind or teaching and by the cunning of the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So um, I wanted to just kind of start by saying that 
Um, the other night we were having these conversations and someone said like, oh, you know so much. And I know absolutely nothing. Like I'm still learning. I'm very in my infancy stage of learning these things. But as you get deeper into running, into weightlifting, into CrossFit, into the Bible, the more confident you are because you're spending more time in it. So I kind of want to start with that. That's really well said. That's a beautiful metaphor. Okay, so you, first of all, from the outside, like, I think, I think from the outside, it seems like you're a freshman that has potential. So I think you're going to get called up to JV. Okay, prematurely, that's good. Okay, all right. Because yeah. uh, how hard, how much effort you put into it. Oh, that's so I feel like you should at least be called up to JV. I think I'd just be a starter. Like, I don't know. Uh, fun fact. You want to be a starter on the freshman team? Yeah, I want to be a starter on the freshman team because I want to. I want to get some time in the in the okay. actual game before I go to the JV and get smashed. Like. Uh, that actually brings up a good point is when I was in a freshman year of high school, I did not play football. My, I didn't play football leading up to freshman year. Then I played my freshman year and I did not start. I was just worked really hard. I was kind of, I was terrible. I was learning the game, learning all this stuff. But then my sophomore year, I made the starting squad, starting left tackle in BD for my JV squad. But then I got kicked off because of grades. So then I went from starting to then being the water boy. So that was a huge hit in my, I don't know, it was humbling to one, be on the field starting and then the next game, bringing the water to the person who is replacing me and my stuff because of my lack of commitment to school. I had to go from being the starting person to the water boy. Uh, and I, as people say like, oh, you know, you're like had this like uh, determination and no, when I was a sophomore in high school, I remember I still went to every single practice because my job now went from starting to preparing the starter to be the best that they could be. And I think that's a really cool mindset to take, but I didn't, that, that came, but that was from my parents. I wasn't only, they, they came to the games that I started. They also came to the games where I was the water boy and brought the water out to the people. And I felt like I was just a part of the team as a starter. So I just remember that as we were talking about that. Yeah, it seems like that really, like, shaped you, those steps during high school. That one. That one really made me, that, like, was a big, I don't know. I appreciate you saying that because, yeah, I view this more as not preaching but an exploration. So as we're learning this stuff, bringing it up, like, this is just a conversation between the two of us. And so to me, it's like I bring these things up, trying to get your input on it, your thoughts on it, not coming here like I have the answer, coming down off high with the answer. So, yeah, I think that's good that you spelled it out in such a beautiful way that, you're not preaching anyone here. You're like exploring this stuff and like learning. Well, both of us, I would yeah. say that I don't know much of anything. So when we come up to these topics and we have these questions and we say something, it's not because we know it. It's mm -hmm. because we're asking the question. And so I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm like telling them that I know the answer because I don't know the answer. I know it's worked for me and I, it will continue to evolve and adapt as I grow up and mature. So it's just really cool, the maturity thing. So our head's kind of like, you think of a baby like going around, but as we get more mature and get more in depth with it, we become stronger. We become our hold fast and we're able to like stick to our guns. But if you're not um, prepared, I remember if I was, didn't memorize a play, I'd go to the play and I'd go down and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'd be worthless but I studied, I did all the things, then you become more confident. So, uh, but at the same time, I don't know the answers and you don't know the answers, but together, the, besides this hour and a half that we spend together, there's plenty of text, phone calls, uh, Bible studies, all this stuff that's going on. So there's a lot behind what's going on here. And I appreciate what you said. It sounds like this is a metaphor you use with coaching clients. Mm -hmm. Like they're reaching for the highest level immediately. Do you find it difficult to 
convince them that be patient and trust in this process that'll lead you there and embrace the fact that you're a freshman? Yeah, I think it's just less attractive. Um, it's a hard sell to be like, hey, uh, a prime example is just like an advanced, let's say, uh, Olympic movement or an advanced gymnastics movement or something like a, a running time or running a marathon and they've never ran a 5K before. Let's start with a 5K and then build off of that. Uh, and so we, but it's less attractive. It's not as cool to just go run a race. I want to go do the hardest thing. I want to do it now. Um, but you need to, if you want to do that for a long period of time, you have to take care of the basics, which is simple steps. And that's what they teach you when you first learn something new, a skill, they teach you not under load. They teach you, you're walking through plays, you're understanding what this movement does. And then that way, when you do get into that, then they call you up to the JV squad or the varsity team, you're able to apply those like skill sets. So that's what I like about kind of thinking that metaphor. That was really well said. Like, <laughs> I really appreciate that. I think about that constantly because I get people to come up to me all the time and they want to be a certain place, but are they comparing themselves to other athletes? And you're just like, well, how long have they been training? And you're like, well, they've been training for 10 years. Oh, I've been training for three months. Why can't I do that? And it's like, because it takes 10 years. And it's a long, slow process. Patience, long-term suffering. Patience. I'm so glad you brought that up because okay. that's exactly what I want to talk to you about. Woo! Uh, so, yeah, I feel like, you know, kind of going back to my birthday, we're getting close to a month. And even a little bit before that, I've made a lot of progress internally. I feel like I've totally burned down and burned out this old person. And I feel genuinely with this new identity that you kind of gave me last week. I feel like I've been this way um, for getting you know close to a month. And it was 30 days last week when I had been this consecutive streak of morning workouts, which is something I've like a year ago, two years ago, kind of dreamed of because I'd never been that consistent. And I woke up the morning, it was like the 30th, on the 30th day, and I woke up, and I just like, it's like, I don't feel like doing this. Like, why am I doing this? And um, it was really cool, because I'd never gotten to a point before where I'd gotten to that point of boredom. Like, I'd always been like, oh, oh, go for like a week or so, 10 days, and then all of a sudden it was falling off. There's something wrong with this system, it's not working, and find a new system. And you build a new system in with little tweaks, oh, this thing's not working. And so I never got to the point where I was like sticking with the same system 30 days consecutively. And so I never gotten this point of like boredom. And so I kind of wanted to, like when I had that feeling, I was like, oh man, I wonder what, how Luke deals with this feeling of boredom as someone who's like developed these habits in their life of consistency, like adhered to a program over a long period of time. Like what is it, when you feel that, that moment of boredom, like what is it that you do to say, nope, I'm going out. I'm going out running. I'm going out doing whatever I'm going to do. Um, so that's a great question. I, I, just like everybody else, struggle with boredom. But I know there's a, a quote that's been quoted a hundred times, but I know that in boredom there is something. The people who enjoy the boring part are the people who succeed at those things. Okay. So for my example, it's treadmill running. I despise treadmill running. This light's going to be flickering the whole time. I despise treadmill running. So for me, uh, that's where a lot of growth happens because I can just sit there and I'm not going to be doing that much ground and pound on my body. I'm just going to be moving back and forth and kind of just dialing in a pace and going and going and going and going. Uh, and so when I am on that, I think you and I have talked about the stone. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I change my mindset of like, this now is a form of working out. It's my mental side of it. So doing a long run for a long period of time or doing 
the monotonous over and over and over and over and over again is the simple things that build the foundation and the building blocks to succeed. And so when I hit that moment, my mindset is like, yeah, this is boring, but this is where other people stop. And this is where I can keep going. I did that on the track this morning, my last mile. I like, this is where people want to quit. It's my whatever mile it was that I was on. And uh, it was a difficult workout. And I was like, this is where people stop. And then I started smiling. And I was like, this is where I begin. And so I just got excited. And so that's a, just the flip of the script. Like, I'm not special. I just changed the way my mind thinks about it. And that allows me to continue going through it and then even try harder and like put more effort into it because that's when I know that that is a hard decision that other people are not going to take, right? Get comfortable where others are uncomfortable. Um, so being, you don't suppress that feeling, you embrace it and use it as fuel. Yes. Wholeheartedly. Like I know that, um, there's a bunch of people that say this all the time is like motivation is, um, will die, but discipline will always continue to be there. Mm -hmm. So the discipline aspect is, this is a prime example of the discipline is you need to, first of all, I need to turn that light off. <laughs> I can't do that. I haven't had a light. Um, so yeah, I like that. That boring stuff for me is where it's going to happen. So uh, that's where growth happens. That's where uh, the things that you don't necessarily want to do. And it's just a time and uh, opportunity to practice it. I got to turn that light off. I got to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> so like what I was saying is instead of suppressing this feeling of boredom and saying like, no, I got to fight this, you embrace it and say, oh, this is the feeling where usually people fall off. And so you run towards that and say, no, this means I need to keep going. Yeah, I, I think if you have a plan, it's, it's called the, like the enjoy the process or stick to the process or um, that's what's going to make you better. So if you have a plan, stick to that plan no matter what happens, even if that plan is boring. Probably a boring plan for a long period of time of slow incremental gains is probably the best solution and answer ever. So for me, I'm, I'm a big believer in, uh, I have a marathon in 11 months. And so my plan is 11 months is a long time to have a goal. Uh, but I will spend the next 11 months doing that, but I just know that a long, slow progression will get me to the starting line, injury-free hopefully, um, not fatigued, in the best shape that I've ever been in, but I need to take the steps and following that plan, even though it's boring, is what's gonna make me. Like I said last time, it's really easy to sign up for a marathon. It's really hard to train for a year to do that. Two years, three years, nine years, however many years it takes to get to that point, so. You use the word boring, but really can be equated to like simplicity. Like your plan is ridiculously simple, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. <laughs> I run hard twice a week. Everything else is pretty easy. And then I do those consistently for 48 weeks. Yeah. There's this book called Anti-Fragile, which I like a lot. And the idea of anti-fragility is that things that are fragile, you know, break down when there's stressors. But things that are anti-fragile thrive, not just survive, but thrive when there's stressors. And so one of the like, keys to like, building a system that's anti-fragile is simplicity. And so yeah. you've built a system that's so ridiculously simple, um, it's much more difficult when chaos happens or in your life, which is going to, it's much more, uh, it's much easier that that system does not fall apart. Well, it's easier right? to adhere to, adhere yeah. to. So you can, um, do that and not be injured. Or yeah. what happens is when you start looking at the fancy stuff, that's when you start overtraining and doing this stuff. But if you do the simple things for a long period of time, you might not have, if you and I started training at the same time and I started doing all these fancy things, I might see progress. I might beat you in a 5k and a 10k and a half marathon. 
But then when it comes to the marathon, t- marathon time, because I went fancy and stuff like that and went all crazy, I probably got injured. And you just stayed consistently, and then you destroyed me in the marathon yeah. because you didn't necessarily win the battle, but you won the war. And so that's my goal this year is because I'm competing against my friend uh, in December, and I will win the battles and the war and destroy him. Well, so after I had those, after I had those feelings of like boring or whatever, um, I used the new tool I found that you've kind of showed me of like the sword of the spirit, right? Okay. Like, which is just Bible verses. And so, um, I found one in Romans five and I want to get your thoughts on this. Cause I thought it was really interesting. So Romans five is let us glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character and then character in turn hope. I think that's really interesting because you can't have perseverance without going through the suffering. So develop the ability, the muscle of perseverance requires sufferings, okay? Which is important, like, idea to, to, to sit and think about because without sufferings, you can't have perseverance. You can't persevere through something that's easy. It's not persevering. Persevering is overcoming challenges. And so that's where when you see these things in your life that are stressors or frustrations or things that you're going to have to suffer through, you sit here and you preach all the time about embracing those sufferings. Well, the only way to persevere and develop this muscle of perseverance is by running towards the sufferings, not hiding from them. And then from there, I thought this is interesting that character comes out of perseverance, right? And so your character is what you're going to do. And this is how I define it. I'd love to get your thoughts. Your character is what are you going to do in difficult situations? That to me defines your character. Well, if you have not endured difficult situations through perseverance, you don't know what your character is. You don't, it hasn't been established because you haven't stuck long enough to identify that. And then the last part of that, you know, from that character is hope, which is interesting because, you know, the Bible preaches hope all the time and like this idea of hope for the future. Well, the hope is basically wishing if you don't have confidence that whatever that is you're hoping for is going to like come true or come to fruition. And so this idea of like you need to persevere through difficult things that develops your character. And then once you have that character and that confidence, which you mentioned earlier, once you have that confidence that I'm going to be able to do this over a long period of time, then you have hope for that better person that you're moving towards or whatever that end outcome is. I just thought this was a beautiful verse that spoke to me a lot. And I'm wondering kind of overall what I just threw at you. What do you think? That was a lot that you just threw at me. I know. Um, let's break it down. Uh, uh, suffering, oh, how I look at it as um, when you're breaking down a muscle, and you're lifting and you want your muscle to get bigger, you have to break down the muscle so that when it's at rest, it can regrow and repair itself. Um, And so your muscle won't get better or bigger unless you break it down. And so I believe that's a similar analogy or metaphor for what it's like for mental toughness, what it's like for um, perseverance or all these different things that people can kind of relate to. So they almost do it, but they're doing that same type of training, but they're doing it for their mind and they're doing it for their character. I think that habits and actions reflect your character. And I think we said this a couple weeks ago, is, which is very funny to me because a lot of the stuff that we say that we think that we come up with are in this Bible. And that's what attracts it, me to it so much is it's not from the, the quotes that we read online on a meme or something. It's from the Bible. Um, and so our, our perseverance is kind of, um, you know, the iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm and like forged in heat. So you can mold metal when you put it into something really hot. When you are trying to make a diamond, you compress coal. So under that pressure, then the diamond comes out. There's so many other metaphors in life and nature and in and just everywhere 
that if it's you're under pressure and you're growing and suffering, that's when you're going to see character come out. Um, character, I think, is how exactly what you said is how you respond to the different things that happen to you in your life. And ways to practice that are do hard things. You and I were talking about before this podcast is, I think you said this, is that truth, uh, our suffering equals truth. Uh, and truth equals, like, that's where life happens. So when I'm most present is when I'm in my suffering form, which to some people it's working out. That's why some people love to just freaking wreck and shop in the gym because they're just very present in that moment. They can feel their body, their heart rate's pumping, they're, they're using all their stuff. Their body's naturally producing these endorphins because you're just suffering. And then that's when you're alive and you feel like, ah, and you want to take on the world. So that's in suffering, which let's prime example of who people who do cold plunges, people who do these things, the most present I am in is when I'm just want to get out of that moment, but I focus on my breathing and I can do that and practice it. That is building mental toughness and strength and durability and perseverance. There's a bunch of stuff. I mean, when we talk about, um, Paul in, in the chains, he says, don't pray for me. We said this last time, don't pray for me of getting out of the chains, pray for me to deal with life while I'm in these chains. I think that's a really good metaphor because we might be going through something really hard, but we have the ability to use that for an advantage. I don't know if I even answered your question. Yeah, Paul always embraces the suffering. There's no point where he tries to think of like, I think back to my fond days of my childhood and ignore, like there's no suppression of the suffering. It's like an embrace, embracing of it and understanding the growth that comes from it. That doesn't just happen overnight. So I did a little research on Paul or Saul. Mm -hmm. And so... Paul, or Saul, sorry, Saul, and again, maturity, right? So I'm just learning, so take it, give me some grace. Saul crucified Christians. And there was a point when their, uh, the Christianity had appointed seven people to be in charge of expending these funds throughout these churches. And one of them was this guy named Stephen. I called him Stephon. I think his name would be Stephon. And he was getting beaten to a pulp because he spoke, he had the ability to speak publicly, and he's speaking in front of these people who did not like Christianity. And instead of cowering to what they said, he spoke the truth, and he ended up getting stoned and killed and beaten alive. All the people that stoned and beat him grabbed their coats, handed them to Paul, or Saul, and then went and beat the living crap out of this guy, Stephen, Stephon. So that's Paul's introduction to seeing someone suffer. But as he was Stephen, Stephon was getting beat and just ridiculously massacred. He says, God, I pray for these individuals and I pray for them to be better in this, all this stuff. And he's like praying for the people who are killing them. So Paul was a witness to that, or Saul. Saul was a witness to that. Then this whole thing happens. Paul goes through this thing. So when you think about Paul suffering, in these jail and going to these things, he's, I would think at some point feels terrible for all the things that he did. He would go kill Christians. He would go kill kids, wives, whatever he was doing. Uh, And so now he feels like I'm doing, this is my suffering. This is like what I get to do on behalf of that stuff. And so I didn't know that about Paul. So he in turn used someone else's suffering and um, belief and now took that as part of his ammunition, ammunition. Think about all the things that we take from podcasts, we take from books, and we take from Instagram memes or whatever we take, and we use it as our own uh, to like help us be better, stronger, more mentally tough people. Uh, Paul was watching people around him do those things and his own actions that he learned from, and then he used that that he learned from, his character's perseverance and all those things, 
and then was able to kind of showcase that. And by doing that, he showed other people how to live that way. So he wasn't exactly telling them, even though he was writing letters to all these churches, he was living it. And by him living it, it motivated people like you and I to be more like him, to suffer, to preach the good word of the scripture. So I found that was super awesome. Yeah, really well said. I don't, I don't know why you keep saying that. Really well said. Then tie it to— I didn't say it. Tie, it's really, but it's really—the point you make is very, very strong. It's like you can be inspired and take from others like what they're going through and use it in your own journey. So the other question I have is then kind of how, how the hope component— so, for example, like Paul's character was, strength, was strengthened because of his perseverance through his suffering, right? Or other people's suffering, and then he was just— Witnessing yeah, other people's yeah. suffering. So what about the hope part? Um, like this, this in Romans where it ties character to hope. Do you, do, can you, do you tie that? Like, can you clarify why? Do you have any vision of why that is, of why character provides hope? Um, I don't necessarily know scripture uh, to the point where I can confidently say like, oh, it's this. The first thing I think of when hope, uh, I think of eternal life. I don't necessarily like that answer because I don't want to do anything for an eternal life. I want to do things because I want to do it now. And then I started thinking about if I have character and I have a positive outlook, then I will have hope. And uh, I was writing down, I think it's, um, yeah, Philippians. So pretty much Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 13, whatever you want to call it. I call them mic drops. Uh, so he's writing uh, this letter to the Philippians. And in them, in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, he pretty much says uh, what we talk about, like, uh, if, do you want to worry less? Pray more. And then he says, like, think about, if you think about, or if you're looking and you're viewing negative things, and you're looking at, you're complaining about your wife all the time, and then you go hang out with these guys, and they're complaining about their wives all the time, you're obviously going to be complaining about your wife, and you're going to have a negative outlook on how your wife is. But if you start hanging out with people who talk positively about their wife, and then you go, you talk positively about your wife, you are more likely to do those things. So by you doing that, you're gonna have the hope and the positive outlook on life. Again, don't know if this is scripture related, this is just how I envision it. Uh, And it was related to the reading that I was doing. Uh, It says, then think positively, not just passively, but actively. So don't just say that you're going to think positive, like practice it. You have to put in the reps in doing that. And what does that look like? It means like having a goal of saying a compliment once a day or meeting someone new, like put it in the practice, because if you don't put it in the practice, you're not going to be able to do it. Actively look for positive things. Because if you're normal, some, or if you're normally someone who complains constantly and one of your friends goes, hey, you complain a lot. Be like, oh, you're probably right. Then you can say, okay, well, I do complain a lot. What can I look for that's positive? Oh, I have a truck. Great. Okay, I have a loving family. Great. All this stuff. So you look and you actively look for those things. Um, that's kind of uh, what I got from that. I don't know. So part you, of having a, because you equated positive outlook to character, part of have, developing character as it's defined here is a positive outlook towards things. You can't have a strong character if you're wallowing and complaining in the sufferings that you're going through. Yeah, I don't want to be around you if you're a negative yeah. Nancy. Like, who wants yeah. to be around a negative Nancy? You just, you... And where, as a friend, this is where I get, um, have a hard time with is where, as a friend, if you have this person that constantly comes to you and complains and complains and just like doesn't do anything about it and just complains and complains, like when do you just say like, hey man, like you, I don't want to be around you. Like you're, you're annoying. Like you are making me less happy. 
by being with you. And so there has to be a point where instead of you just like continue to like let them use you as a punching bag for their negative self-talk and all this stuff, you say, hey, this is what you're doing. Like give them the tools and, and then um, and talk to them about it and be honest with it because I don't want to sit there and continue to have to remind you, you're such a great person. Like, yeah. I, there's a, there's a line and I don't know where that is and I'm currently searching for it like how do we do that and um, so I don't know that answer. Well, I think what you've always said is being a, like a positive example just what you said about Paul he's living by example in this way and being an example to Philippi Philippi and Ephesia or whatever the heck they have. Ephesus. Ephesus. Yes okay. I got one. <laughs> Ephesus. Um, so anyways and so what you do and you you talk all the time is like you can choose to be positive. You can choose to live in this positive way. And so really you can't change other people other than be yourself and see if that attracts them and they rub off and learn from you. Um, as you were saying that, I was thinking about like, we can do those things, right? But we can't do them. What I'm finding out, I'm learning without God. Yeah. Um, so at Galatians 5, I could be completely off. I don't know. <laughs> Galatians 5, does that where it talks about the fruit of the spirit? Mm-hmm. Nice, dude, look at me. Practice. From our Bible um, the fruit of the Spirit, if you search and practice and uh, read through the Scripture and do these things, you will have the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of you. Patience, peace, joy, all those other things. Self-control. So instead of like just thinking positively, let's refocus on the Scripture. Let's refocus on conversation about this stuff. And it's changed my life. It's changed my outlook. It's changed everything mental that I have going on. And if you refocus it on that, then this fruit that's going to be produced is going to be a positive, patient, self-control, happy, joy person. And that's the person you want to be. So It's right. so cool that you brought that up because I was shown this week very, very similar verse, uh, Matthew 7, which is, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so when you're talking about this stuff, I, when I read that, I equated it to character. I equated character to being like a good tree. And one other thing that came to me, because I, I was reading this while I was like sitting by the like fireplace outside that I just made a fire. And I had this like deep moment of like introspection. I was like, when, when the fire burns, it like releases energy, right? Yeah. And so like I felt like I had gone through this thing where it's not enough to just feel the flame. You have to burn your whole self away. And I genuinely feel like I've burned away a lot. And what I've noticed is like when you go through that change, when, when like the tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, it releases energy. And then so you have like this energy to like move on to this new identity. But then like the fire eventually burns out, right? And the ener- that energy dissipates. And it got me thinking about like, well, what sustains you going forward? And um, while this was happening, I kept getting this like idea of like power. I kept, you know, I've, these verses and songs I've heard before, but... Um, the verse that got me is, you know, we're reading through Philippians this week and it said, uh, for God is working with you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And then there's two songs that I heard. Um, one of them is based on Ephesians three, which we went through last week was, you know, may we have power together as his children. And then the third one is he is good. And this one said the power that rose him that April lives inside of us. Mm -hmm. I was like, so then I went down this thing of like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, what is power? Like, and I couldn't, for the, like, life of me at first, figure out what that was. I spent a couple hours, like, look, working through this. And I want to, before I do that, I want to throw it to you. Like, when, when you read power like that, 
and have that term power in this biblical way, what does that mean to you? Well, I think, first of all, I want you to answer what power is for you, because I always talk. And <laughs> I think, uh, we had it, heard it the other day, like, people value what you have to say. I don't, don't listen to what I have to say. I'd rather hear what you have to say about power. You've obviously thought about this all week, so I'm excited. Okay. Can you so, teach me about power? Part of my daily Bible reading this week was, like, this verse in Matthew of Jesus saying, the things I say are not me, they're spoken through me through God. So I genuinely feel like I'm just sharing this because I feel like this was shown to me this week. Um, I went and did some research on power, or like just searching, like what is the definition of for power? What does it mean in a spiritual context? And there were a couple of things I, I found. So uh, the, like the basic example of the ability or capacity to exert force, okay? And then another kind of definition was inner strength, ability to overcome challenges and qualities, and, you know, I'm going through this thing of, like, getting this message of perseverance. And so I equated that very, very much there. And then there's also this transformative energy to heal, inspire, and elevate. And the interesting part is I remembered from physics, like, back in school, that <laughs> you remember a lot from high school. You remember physics? I didn't take physics. So okay. physics is very, like, there's this definition of power. Power equals energy over time. And so then I, I really latched on this idea of like power is energy over time where we just decided, like went through this idea that as you transform, like the new person has all this energy that's released from the burning of the old person. But then that energy wanes. And so it's like, what is a source of energy? And then the Bible references all the time that this power is inside of you, right? Living inside of you. You're like, okay, that's great. Well, that means it's always been there, right? So if it's inside of me, it's always there. How come I don't always have this power? And so I got thinking about that as well. And so I realized that to access the power like that's with inside of you, you need other people. And it's just like I talk all the time about movies and how like all the heroes in every movie, they need like a guide. They need someone to help them access whatever secrets it is to change. Because if they could change on their own, they would have done it. They never would have gotten the problem in the first place. And it's the same thing with the, I feel like with the power. If you had access to this power on your own, you would just have abundant energy to pursue all these objectives all the time. I genuinely believe now that that power is only released by other people. Like, as you imagine, like a metaphor where it's boxed up inside of you, and then other people have the keys for it. And so you have to spend time with other people. You have to develop relationships with other people. And then you can access that power. You know, going back to the song, may we have power together as his children. It's like you need other people to be able to access that power. So that was the one thing. And I, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, in this in this idea of needing other people to access the power, there's that verse of iron sharpens iron, mm -hmm. which you've really liked. And it made me think of like, well, sort of the spirit's iron. So like the sword gets sharpened with other people. I was like, that's a beautiful metaphor. So there's two things. So number one was like access the power within you, you need people. Okay. okay? The second mm -hmm. one is like, you can't find the box of power within you if you're distracted. And this goes to like, goes back to the parable of the good soil. Like if you have good soil, then the seeds that are thrown out there will germinate and become great. But if you're distracted, they're gonna get crowded out. And I had the same metaphor of like accessing this power within you to sustain energy over a period of time where I'm dealing with a struggle of like, all of a sudden I'm bored because now that I'm a consistent person. Like where do I find sources of power? And I realize it's inside you, so you spend time with other people, which means you have to invest in relationships with other people, make sure it's time, it doesn't just, doesn't just happen to you, you have to spend time with them. Then also clear away the distractions and be bored. And when you do that, like when you embrace the being bored, like you've said about in the mornings, you embrace the being bored. If you embrace being bored throughout the day, like that's where I feel like then you're able to access power. 
That's all I got. What do you mean? That's all you got. That's, that's fantastic. All I, I, uh, I want to add one thing, not to yours. Like how I envision it is it, just as you were saying it, I was uh, interpreting. Uh, I don't, the conversations that we have with other people kind of allow you access to that power. I really like that analogy. Like you have it inside of you, but you're not going to be able to do it. I also feel that scripture or the Bible or all that stuff is a way for you to access that power. And then when you started, that last thing that you had mentioned, um, uh, when you were inside of you and then it's kind of coming out of you uh, and you don't have access to it yet, the more you dive deep into scripture, the more you dive deep into these conversations, the more you have fellowship with other people who are like-minded. It brings out that. Have you ever noticed that when you are training for something and you start hanging out with those people, you guys train and you keep going and you do those things together and you get better together? Uh, and if you also notice that if you are hanging out with people that dim your light and do that stuff and kind of, you kind of go that way. So I, I like the, I like the investment uh, into people and conversation, but I also feel like it gives you power. And I think what I'm finding out is that what gives you power is the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, but you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you like pursue God. And so that's where I think a lot of the power comes from is through the scripture. So not only the people and the conversations, but um, the reading the Bible. And uh, so I, it kind of puts me into the, the, the Rick Warren purpose-driven life, like ties into it. And it talks about to have your five purposes and the things. And at the end of it, it talks about love God with all your heart. So that's the first way. Uh, number two is love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says, go and uh, make disciples and then baptize them into blah, blah, blah. And then number five is teach them to do all things and be like Christ. And so it's worship, ministry, evangelist. How do you say that? Evangelism? Evangelism. Evangelize. Evangelize. Fellowship and discipleship. And when you were saying those things, I think to access your power, like what we're going to talk about on Wednesday, what I want to bring up is if you do all those things, and if you do that, then your purpose of your life is going to be just happen. And you're doing those things. And he, Rick Warren, talks about the ways that he can do that. Is he calls it shape. It's what spiritual gifts you have what your heart entails you or tells you to do, your abilities, so pre-existing stuff, uh, your personality, uh, and then your experiences. So you have really unique um, spiritual gifts. You have a unique heart, each individual does. Uh, your abilities are all different. Like God gave us all different abilities to do things. Uh, so like your abilities are different than my abilities. Um, and then you have your personality. Your personality is different than my personality, different than my wife's personality, different than your wife's personality. Uh, and then experiences, we all grew up differently. We've all lived in different places. We've all gone through different things. Um, and then in taking that, those things, you will kind of produce the power, I think, of like the, the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I, when you were saying all that stuff, all those things were flooding through my brain about how you're having conversation and doing that. I consider the power like the fruit of the Spirit. And so like by you, it's so weird, by you doing one thing, something else happens. Yeah. And so does that, yeah. does that correspond or am I like, Yeah, it makes sense to me. Well, you always said, whenever you're going to train or anyone that's going to be serious about making this change, you always say, why? Like you'll mm -hmm. find out why. And it sounds to me like a lot of what you've just described there is the why to fall back on or why you're doing this, why you're going through the mundane every single morning. You seem very connected with your why, and which is the point where I can describe it. So much so that you, you're you so connected with your why that I can regurgitate it. What's my why? To motivate through movement. Okay, yeah, I was like. <laughs> and there's other components with the family. And like, for me, the family thing has been huge. Like, when I think about in the morning of like, why am I doing this? Demonstrate. Yeah. 
demonstrate to the kids. Like that's genuinely like a huge driver and I've really tapped into that why after talking to with you, like why am I doing this thing? F829, be conformed in the image of his son. So if you act like Jesus Christ acted, then you will be, you'll have all the stuff. So if you just are a good person, and that's why I really find it attractive because if you just are a good person, you talk to people about hard things, uh, you don't tell them, but you demonstrate just by lead by example, lead from the front, then you're pretty much a disciple of religion, not by also spreading the good word, but just showcasing it. And what you said, demonstrate. And so I think that's a very attractive thing to look at. And so it's just funny that that kind of popped into my head. You were saying is like the more we look like, or look like, the more we act like and resemble Jesus Christ, the more of all. That's why I just come up with that first John three eighteen all the time of yeah. like, not words, but in actions and in truth. And like, I just think about that verse all the time. I recite it all the time and use it. It's been huge in my life as far as changing of like, oh, why? And that's because what that means to me, and it could mean different things to other people, the correct biblical definition of what it means. For me, it means like, you can't, you can tell your kids all you want about what, how you want them to be, but what it comes down to is your actions are gonna show them. And so I think about that verse all the time and it drives me in a lot of situations now. I was thinking about this morning on, when I was running, I was thinking about how can I make our, my children good like adults? And I was like, oh, you know, like I, I thought of some people who were grew up super religious or grew up without religion or and they still turned out to be like decent human beings. Like what? How can you make them? But my parents were great, but I, I went through some trials and tribulations. I went through some crazy stuff and uh, all self-inflicted not because of my parents. But like, how do I make a decent human being? And uh, one of them would be is you just have a standard and you adhere yourself. to that standard yourself. Yes. And then by having that standard for yourself, you're, in essence, having your children be held to that same standard, not by like telling them, but by showing them. Uh, and so I think that that's a really good way to do that. So how do we make good kids is be a good human being or be a good adult. And if you're a good adult, then you're going to have good kids. Um, I think a lot of times that recently we've been researching, talking about like giving generously. It's like, what does giving generously mean? Like what? Uh, it, in, uh, I think it was Dave Ramsey, Kira would be proud of me, I'm going to quote Dave Ramsey. He said, um, if, you have, if you don't have money and you give generously, when you have money, it just highlights the person that you already are. It highlights if you're a jerk. But it also might highlight that you're a generous giver already. So just because you don't have money doesn't mean that you can't give generously. You can give time, you can give knowledge, you can give advice, you can give um, like movement, you can do all that stuff. And uh, I just, you can be a good human being. Which but, I think in some cases is a lot more valuable than giving like finance because it takes time. You're to me, if someone's going to spend time with you, like it's much more valuable than just like writing you a check for something. Right. If you're, if they're going to spend time with you and develop their extremely limited resource of time with you, um, and energy and passion. I mean, in some situations that's even more, I could argue it's more valuable than just writing a check to somebody. You've actually said that quite a bit of times. You told me that you can go talk to these people and they might just write you a check, but you can also go to these other people and you can have time and you can show them and show mental toughness and do these things. And uh, they're going to get more out of just giving a present, getting a present than just that oh, time yeah. with you, yeah. with a person yeah. can make a difference of their life. More in this moment, it's not as meaningful potentially, but it's something that can last them a long time. 
like my son got a birth or a Christmas present within a week. He drew it through puddles and he's already lost all of his, um, remote control cars. So it's like within three days, he had these really cool toys, but it's like for him, it's like, okay, like he was so excited to open that toy yeah. three days later. It's like, doesn't even got, he didn't, that the toy wasn't even around. It's like, he's done. He's like, okay, cool. Next. I'm just like, whoa, but you teach him a lesson that sticks with him forever. So I find that very cool. I wanted to kind of talk to you about something, if you don't mind. Yep. Um, I don't know the, the verse I sent you um, not too long ago, but this one was um, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, the Thanksgiving present, your request to God and the peace of God with transcends uh, all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So, I find that's really cool because uh, the more you worry, the less you trust in God. And so that's something that I'm like, the more anxious, the more insecure you are about something, the more that thing that you're insecure about is something that you don't trust God with. So like when that happens, then I'm like, okay, like, all right, I have something. Let's talk about it. And in the book, uh, I don't know which one it is, but uh, Craig talks about if you have a prayer and I want you to write it down, put it in a box, and when you don't uh, trust God anymore, you take that prayer out the next time you're anxious and say, like, oh, that's not for God because I'm going to be anxious about it. So by you taking it out, it, like, makes you aware that you're not trusting God. I thought that was a, a pretty cool little metaphor to actually, like, put the prayer in, like, oh, my son, or our, our financial situation isn't great. I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to write that, and, like, I would really love this, and I put it in there. Then you take it out, it's like, oh, I won't, I don't trust God with that. So that's a hard one for me like, and, and my wife. I was going to ask you that. Like, what is it that you would, what kind of practice, like, how is it that you deal with, like, this thing that's stressful, like, that's making you, like, where you can, to the point where you're sick in your stomach, where you can feel it, like, how is it that usually you deal with those things? Patience. So I, I, I'm terrible yeah. with it. But patience. So I always distract myself, and you had said it. When something happens, it's, like, in my tummy, mm -hmm. in my tum-tum, and I feel it, and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of anxious about it. What I'll do is I'll try to find something new. I'll try to like, come up with a new idea to make money, or I'll try to come up with a new idea to kind of distract me from that thing uh, instead of trusting in patience. And so having the patience to understand that it's not going to happen right away because, and I think Danny said this, he goes five, like five seconds, five minutes, five hours, five months, five years. When you look at that situation and you look at it from a broader perspective, you can say, okay, in five seconds, how this is going to affect me in five minutes, five hours, five days. Oh, five years from now, five months from now, I'm not even going to be thinking about this thing. Uh, and so perspective and having patience with it. So currently for me, patience is a big one and understanding that what we're doing is producing and doing all these things. And like today, prime example, like it's coming. I just have to be patient. And I'm just like not ready to wait for it. I'm very much a go, go get it and not wait. But I, I've, I've, we've put in a lot of work. We've laid a lot of seeds, and so now we're just kind of letting them come up. And then I keep, if I keep distracting myself and not really participating in the seeds that I have and not watering them and not giving them attention, not giving them sunlight, not nu nutrients and all this stuff, then they're probably going to die out because I went and just got distracted by some other seeds. So. That's a really great point because I oftentimes phrase distractions as the obvious like worldly stuff that's mm -hmm. super easy to identify. But really, some of the most dangerous distractions are the ones that are like good ideas. Yeah. And like, what is? Do you have any kind of clarity? Like, you came up with an idea, like yesterday that you were sharing with me. 
like what is is there like a filter you run through is there like a waiting period how is it now that you like take an idea say like okay I, here's my idea is this thing a distraction or is this something i'm supposed to be running with so i think uh, pooper scooper there was a thing i don't know if i wrote it um it says five ways and it said in the scripture oh man okay so you you have you you yesterday you came to me and said i have this new idea oh and it's a great idea how do you know if that thing is a great idea that you're meant to be running after that god's put there in your life or a distraction that's a seems like a great idea but it's pulling you off the path you're supposed to be on I don't know the answer. Okay, but thanks. Uh, so I struggle with that constantly. I'm curious if, when I have an idea, is it a distraction or is it something that's an idea that's come in to my mind or my body so that I can use it to build whatever we have going on? Uh, and I don't know where it, it has to be in the book of Philippians because I wrote it in my notes about this, and it says like seeking God's will or um, the plan that you're trying to do. So it gave you four steps and that's why I don't know the answer. Uh, it says, does it align with God's plan? And so when I think about this idea, I'm like, okay, does it align with the plan that I feel that God has for me that I'm currently on and doing? Does it align with the trends that I'm on in the theme? I'm like, okay. Then I ask mature, it says, ask mature Christians advice. So for me, it's not necessarily, this isn't a religious idea. This is more about uh, people that I value that are in the same kind of community are people that are friends that I use as their uh, as their guidance and so I, what I asked my wife generally first uh, she's really good I mean no offense she's a dream destroyer like in, a, in the most healthy way that's what we make a really good team is I like have all these ideas and then she goes okay well this is what it's gonna take this that whatsoever it's like oh, okay that's not gonna work you need that in a partnership uh, and so um, and then I asked a good friend of mine who is out in Texas, who I respect highly. We're like-minded individuals. I asked you. I asked a couple other of my good friends, Oscar and Freddie. And uh, it's very, I get very different responses from each person. And then I start thinking to myself, this is like that conversation when, let's say your wife asks you, which dress looks better? This one or this one? Your wife already knows the answer that she likes. I'm just using a wife. It doesn't have to. It could be me. But a wife is like, all right, the black one or the blue one? And you're like, I really like the black one. And she goes, okay, the blue one. So she already made the mind, she, her mind up. She wanted to ask you to reaffirm her decision. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah. What is that? that it, it's a, a common thing. Like that happens all the time. And we do it too. Like I do it all the time. It's like, hey, should I do this or do that? And you're like, I'll do this. I'm like, ah, I'm going to do that because I already have it. I'm just reaffirming my decision by asking someone out loud or verbally. And so that's why it says like, ask mature Christians. And then it says like, check your motives. So this well, is- Hold on a second, I wanna back up because oh. like, if you've like already like decided and you're gonna get confirmation, like is that in the spirit of the decision-making? Like shouldn't my wife come to me and say like, I have both these dresses. I genuinely care about like what your opinion is and like what matters to you. And so it should be like an open-minded approach. Like you just, or do you think it's like a confirmation or a rejection? Like, do you view it that way? I view it as a confirmation on their own bias. Like if they already have an answer, it's like, what shoes look better? This one or this one? Yeah. Oh, I like the black ones. Okay, I'm gonna go with it. They, maybe you agree with them. Maybe they're like, oh, me too. 
But maybe if you're like the brown ones, you're like, ah, no, I like the black ones. But it reaffirmed them that they did that decision. So they didn't, weren't 100% sure. Yeah. So I'm not saying my wife, it could be me. Let's yeah. just use me, for example, instead of blaming. Somebody. No, I'll blame my wife. No, uh, so if you were to ask me uh, this or that, I would be like, okay, I would do this. Uh, I might have already had the bias in my head that's already been developed. And so what I'm trying to do is ask multiple people to see if I had that same bias every single time that it happens. I'm curious. And then the most important person you're supposed to ask is God. And um, so it says check your motives. So for me, this is where I struggle because checking my motives is am I doing it because I'm trying to motivate through movement and cultivate community through movement? Or if I'm doing it for selfish reasons to get like, I don't know, like random stuff. Am I doing it for the right reasons? Is Does this align with my core values and my mission statement? Does it align with what I'm trying to do with a business? Does it align with how I want my children to be raised? Does it align with my wife and I's talks and what we see for our future? Uh, and then the last one says pray for God to open the doors or close other doors. So sometimes you can't go through one door without closing another one. And so that's what you do is you, you ask, you align it with God's plan. Uh, you ask mature people or people that are like-minded in that same situation. You check your motives. Why am I doing it? Am I doing it for self? Am I doing it for worldly? Am I doing it for the kingdom? Like, what am I doing it for? And then you go pray, f- you pray for it. And then hopefully you get shown themes or hopefully it's just like the gut feeling or whatever you do. Another answer to that is just do it, right? Like when we moved to Texas, like we, th- we thought about moving to Texas, we moved to Texas. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? Oh, we live in our car. Cool. We did that. Loved it. Um, now we're back. And uh, so that's another way. It's just to start, which I think is another really good way to do it. But calculate it. Right? Don't just like, dude, like um, have a calculated plan. But sometimes that's just what it takes. And then you're there. So that's where I'm, I'm struggling with the, the answer to that right now. I have people on one side, people on the other side, me in the middle. I don't know which answer to do. And so I'm going above and seeing what happens to see if that's the way to do it kind of makes sense yeah this is a really good like framework for it's not mine making these decisions i know i understand it's from the way you've especially with your tie-in of like explaining what each of these means Mm -hmm. and how it like like especially checking your motion motives like that's a case a lot of time where you're like is this like some sort of selfish ambition or is this something i'm meant to be doing like checking those motives is like crucial and the way to check those motives which i don't think was in there is do they align with core values is something you preach all the time. So I think that was actually a very useful benefit to add into there. And then like seeking um, seeking advice from people you trust, like this idea of having a brain trust is something I believe in a lot and I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it's super interesting that it's like, you view it as like a confirmation of like a confirmation of this idea or rejection. You're stuck on that one. Yeah, because I'm trying to. <laughs> You're trying to think of your, if, let's think. I'm trying to think of an example for you. I don't know. Well, what I'm, what I'm wondering is, is like in my head, it, th- it seems like, and I, I the reason I'm, I'm pushing back and looking into it is because I wonder if you're supposed to have that confidence going into that discussion when you're getting advice. Are you supposed to go in seeking confirmation versus listening to their opinion? Because their opinion, which we've learned in like the church services, when Steve got up on the ladder, uh-huh. <laughs> Pastor got up on the ladder and said, like, people are afraid for you. Okay. So when people give you advice, which was this was actually Paul, part of Acts, yeah. when people give you advice, a lot of times they're scared for you. 
So what I'm wondering is, is like, not saying that it's wrong to go into this idea of confirmation or not, but is it actually beneficial? Because a lot of times the stuff that people are going to come with you could be a, like a distraction from this thing you're trying to evaluate if it's a distraction. So a good friend of mine, he had a pulmonary embolism. I okay. just had like a little clot in his heart. I'm sorry, not his heart, in his uh, lungs. Starting in his calf. So he had calf pain. And he's like, man, I, tra I was training him. And he's like, dude, my calf hurts. And I can't figure out what's going on. I'm like, I don't know. Like, do you have a strain? Do some calf races. Let's get your stuff together. We got some stuff to train for. And ended up traveling up. Started coughing blood, doing all this stuff. Crazy experience. Uh, this is in the middle of his training. And then he went, to, he was in, laid out in a bed for a long period of time. And uh, then the doctor told him he'd never be able to run like five, more than five miles again in his life. And this was, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And so he didn't like that answer. And so he went to a different doctor. And the doctor told him, you're not going to be able to run ever again. You got to do this. You can stay off that. You're not going to be able to get your heart rate up. He doesn't like that answer either. So then he just kept looking for the answer that he wanted and he got it. He ended up running marathons, half marathon, a uh, full Ironman, like very fast after he was told he'd never be able to run again. And so that I like what you're saying is because if you have it ingrained in you, these people are afraid for you. So the doctors were afraid that someone can get knocked loose, get into his heart, stop it, all this stuff, go into his brain, all these things. And so he didn't accept that as his answer. And he's doing that because people were afraid for him. So they told him that he couldn't do this. And that's a prime example of like when we left my old job to like, don't do that. That's crazy. But I'm very thankful that we did. So I think that inside, you know, the right answer. I deep down inside, you know, the right answer. And by you saying it out loud, you are almost confirming it or having it. But if you really trust a person, it makes you think about that in a different way. So that why I ask different people, when I ask my wife something, she th sees things completely different than I do. She sees it more realistic, uh, what it's going to take, the steps that are going to go. I look big picture, she looks steps. And so that's why I love and I value my wife's opinion because she helps me make these decisions often. She goes, okay, well, does it do this? Does it do that? I support you no matter what it is, but is this something we want to do? And then we talk through that together. I think that's a really good one. To, yeah. And that's why you have to ask people that you truly trust. But sometimes your gut, people told us not to move to Texas. A lot of people say it. Don't do lip service. They're scared for you. They're scared for me. Yeah. They're scared for my family. But a lot of times those people that are scared, they talk about doing the same thing, but they won't do it. So that's just weird, weird spot you got to be. I'm more in the, in line with like finding out by doing like by repeating and, 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 and testing it and, finding perseverance and building character and doing these things. But because of that, I think that Kier and I and my family and um, we're stronger and tougher and all that because of those things. So I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. I think that's really interesting. We will never know. I think that's really interesting. Have you never asked anybody a question that you already knew the answer to? Like, obviously I, obviously I have, but like my general approach of like when I'm, I have it beat into my head so much now because I really believe in this philosophy of when you sit down and talk to people of trying to like deeply understand like what they're going through and then like the struggles that are in their minds and deeply open, being extremely open-minded, not to just the question you're asking, but what else they're saying like through that. And so I find it very interesting that um, when I sit down and would seek advice, I would be very interested in all the components of what they were saying and why it is they're saying what they're saying. 
But once again, I think that may be a distraction. And I am attracted to your confidence when asking these questions of, I feel confident that this is the answer. I would, to be honest with you, it kind of seems like I'm saying this out loud to really work through the idea, almost like talking to them helps crystallize the idea. And so I just, I'm, I know I got stuck on this number two, but like I was very interested in this idea of approaching, like I feel like I've been shown something, approaching it with the confidence I've been shown something and waiting for it to get killed. It, if you're not meant to be doing it, it will get killed. It'll get killed in step three when you're checking your motivations. Yes. It'll get killed in four when you're praying for an open door and nothing opens. So be confident. Like go into it confidently. Use the people you're working with to talk through things. And if it's real obvious, maybe it will get killed. But I, I admire the confidence with which you take step number two. And I think it may be the right approach. I don't know if, I'm, if I could say confident. I, I, I think of it this way. Let's say I have an idea. Like my wife's confident in her shoes. Like she's, she knows which one looks better. And she's looking for the confirmation of that. Yeah, but okay, let's think of it um, this way. Um, they both look it. good, by the way, usually. Yeah, that's usually good. That's good. good. That's good. Uh, it's not the shoes that make them. My answer whenever my wife's asking me what shoes she should wear, I say, which ones are more comfortable? She goes, these <laughs> ones. I said, then wear those. Because that's the, why I pick my shoes, because they're comfortable and I like wearing them. So I don't want to wear uncomfortable shoes. So if they're uncomfortable, then do not wear them. That's always my, that's a safe answer. I agree. Uh, oh, man. There was something you said in the ask, you said ask to own the confidence. And then you said something about after the confidence. Oh, this is my argument for my wife all the time. Is She goes, because when I say something, she's like, oh, we're doing it. Like She's already thinking about these things. When I say something, I'm just putting it out there because if I came up with an idea that says I wanted to make a shirt that um, I don't know, was a hood and it went all the way over my head and it was a uh, long sleeve and it was warm I was like oh oh and it had like pockets like your shirt the other day and then it, maybe it was like a vest no but but, but it was like a vest but, listen, but then the <laughs> sleeves were not as much but then all of a sudden like okay well I don't want to have this hood on but I could make a turtleneck and what I'll do is I'll just fold it down like so if I never had the idea of having this like full-on t-shirt covering everything I never would have come up with a turtleneck I didn't come up with a turtleneck turtleneck is the worst invention ever despised them but if you didn't have that first idea if uh, who, Amazon the bookstore the bookstore didn't start then all this stuff wouldn't have happened. It started as this, and it kind of morphed and leaved into something else. So even though, and when I text, whenever I have an idea, whenever I, I just shoot it out because I just need to get out of my head or else I'll just forget about it. And so a lot of times those ideas, nothing comes up. Like the idea that you and I are talking about right now, it's still like fermenting in there. Uh, and so I'm just kind of like trying to see if it's something that I want to invest in. And so this idea might, this one way, like how it started is already so much different than what it is right now. And now it's only been 24 hours. Like I've molded it into something like, okay, this is here. So I'm just going to continue to see what happens and stay tuned because it's a good one. If it's the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I love that. I do want to say this, uh, just because we're talking about Philippians and I think this is crazy. When I learned this, it was insane. Uh, Tim, Timothy mm -hmm. was Paul's like mm -hmm. under guy. Mm -hmm. And Paul met Timothy. Timothy had a Jewish mom and a Greek dad. And so when Paul met Timothy, they were going to take Paul and Timothy. We were going to go out and do all these things. The first thing Paul says is like, go get circumcised. Like you don't have to because it's not in the, like you don't have to, but it gives you credit. 
by you doing that and suffering and doing what these other people are doing and having to go through that, you're devoted enough. And so can you just imagine that, that someone like, hey, I, just, let's go spread the good word. And you're like, yeah, let's do that. And it's like, well, cut off some of your skin. That, like, that's a true meaning of skin in the game. Like, <laughs> and I was reading that in the, in the um, Timothy story in, in Acts when it introduces Timothy. And I didn't know that story. I think Pastor Steve or Glenn had talked about it, about how like Timothy didn't have, I didn't understand it because I wasn't involved in like the reading of it. But then I reread it and I was like, that's insane. Uh, but uh, so if you're, that, I think that's where skin in the game came from. Does that, is that where skin in the game came from? Oh, it must be. That has to be the original, yeah, that skin in the game. I just discovered this. Well, it has to be. That's another one from the Bible. 